Welcome to Being the Dot. I am your host, Dr. Stacy. Each week, I invite a guest or two, possibly three, to talk some about being Black in white spaces. So our guests today have had unique experiences that really have made them experts in networking. They are young people, but they are young, gifted, and Black. Amanata was born in Maui and moved to New York City at the age of 10. She's currently the social media and community manager for Daniel Lubinsky, the founder and executive chair of Kind Snacks. Amanata, also known as Mimi, graduated from Susquehanna University in 2019, where she tripled majored in political science, international diplomacy, and French. Amanata was an active student leader at Susquehanna and served as the president of the Student Government Association. Amanata was the first Black woman to serve in this role. She enjoys traveling, learning languages, and immersing herself in different cultures. One day, she hopes to serve as the ambassador of Malawi to the United Nations. It says plan to serve, but if you know Mimi and after listening to her, what you know is that she will serve as the ambassador to the United Nations. James is a proud native of the Boogie Down Bronx, New York. He's a 2018 alum of Susquehanna University, holding the position of treasurer of the Student Government Association, an orientation leader, and other things. He also worked as a career ambassador in college, and he interned at the leading financial services firms of Ernest & Young and Moody's. These days, James is working at the Guarantors, a fintech real estate startup headquartered in New York City. He's an active mentor at the New York Stock Exchange about networking and opportunity and how it has shaped him into being the person that he is today. In his spare time, James enjoys hanging out with his family and playing sports. He is also an avid fan of battle rap and basketball. James is a proud member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. Please welcome to the podcast, Mimi and James. Let's start by each of you sharing a little bit about your own trajectory and how you believe that networking has played a role in where you are currently. James, do you want to go first? Sure, thanks. Um, so in terms of my trajectory, I guess I'll start off, um, you know, where I feel like the story starts all for me, which is in high school. Um, I kind of feel like high school is what kind of, you know, set me on the path to, you know, where I am today and where I'm going. Um, I think, you know, with the programming and, you know, with the uh, – the resources that we had in high school, I was able to, you know, leverage a lot of the opportunities that I was able to get. And in that, not only getting those opportunities, but, you know, building relationships, you know, with teachers, you know, faculty, student aides, everybody in that building. I think that um, uh, that is what kind of started molding my, you know, knack for professional development and, you know, networking and realizing that, you know, those together 
can, you know, take you farther than, you know, just any applying online or things like that can do. So fast forward to college, I think um, in college is where I kind of cemented um, a little bit more because, you know, I'm still working on it to this day, but I, I kind of, you know, cemented it a little bit more in terms of how well I'm able to, you know, network and, you know, mend certain relationships, whether, you know, professional, um, friendly, anything, just building relationships. Um, and I think uh, one thing that I kind of I kind of learned along the way is um, every experience, every relationship is networking, you know, different capacities, but, you know, still networking. And I think, you know, fast forward to now my career, I graduated in 2018. And I think that, um, you know, networking has been a big part of where I am today. Yes, obviously, you have to, you know, get the grades, you know, you have to meet requirements, but it's the, you know, intangibles, it's the, you know, how to speak to people, how to, you know, figure out, you know, things that people like, things that people don't like, and how to, you know, mesh them into, you know, the being that you are. And, you know, sky's the limit when you know how to, you know, work with people. So I think um, all in a nutshell, I don't want to start, you know, talking too much and uh, rambling too much right now, but I think that networking has definitely helped me to where I am today. So you've been networking since you was a baby. Is that what you're yeah, saying? that's a fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mimi? Yeah, I, my story is very similar to Jane's. Um, I also feel like I've been networking since high school. and But it really wasn't until college that I feel like I had the opportunity or the space to really delve into networking. And throughout my journey, I've learned that networking is a combination of both relationship building, but also it has like an educational um, aspect to it as well, where a lot of times, you know, people step in, into roles when they think they're networking and it's always, what can you do for me? And it's, you know, they never think about the relationship aspect of it. And something else I've learned about networking that's been very prominent in my own experience is that I've come to learn that networking can happen anywhere at any time. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's really one of those things that you have to get comfortable in your own story and think of yourself as a brand and understand your brand story so that whenever you are interacting with someone, it comes off authentically and you're able to connect with that person, whether it's at the bathroom line or in the supermarket or, you know, wherever. Because most times we, off, we often think that networking is three-piece suits and business cards. And 90% of my in, uh, networking experiences have not been that. You know, even when you're in classrooms, you're networking with that professor the entire semester. That, you know, even in interviews, sometimes when interviews start to feel very relaxed, people get very comfortable. But that's a networking opportunity right there. Even if you don't get the job, that person might enjoy your conversation so much that they might decide to contact you again for a future position or even introduce you to someone else. So for me, I'm very grateful for my college experience. Um, James and I both, you know, went to Susquehanna. I don't know if we covered that in the beginning. Um, and that's how we know Dr. Stacy. <laughs> and um, we've, you know, we've had the opportunity to really explore and grow in our own professional um, selves and, you know, using our networks and our mentors to gain other opportunities and also to just know more about ourselves and learn more about our industries. So when you think about networking in white spaces, do you see it as the same or different as networking in spaces where uh, there's more BIPOC folks? 
yeah. So um, networking in white spaces is definitely like it's very different from being in spaces with other um, persons of colors, because in those spaces, oftentimes you are one or one of a few. And, you know, you a lot of what you're experiencing is different from everyone else in the room. And you start to ask yourself, like, am I crazy for feeling this way? So it's very layered and super nuanced. And it's one of those things where you have to really learn how to be comfortable in those scenarios, because a lot of times the other people in the room with that you're in are probably not going to feel that way. And, you know, when you're in white spaces, too. So take aside like the cultural differences, right? You know, someone might make a comment about your hair. Someone might, you know, try to touch your hair or even like say something slightly offensive or just spread those microaggressions. And, you know, in those scenarios for me, I often have to ask myself, is this the time to stand up for myself and say something? Or am I going to sacrifice my own professional growth? You know, so and that's a challenge I think a lot of Black people and people of color often face in a professional setting. Um, whereas when you're in a setting with majority people of color, you can feel a little more relaxed knowing that, you know, if you crack a joke, they'll understand. Or if you say something, like, it will resonate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you, James? I kind of, uh, I tend to agree with uh, what Mimi's saying. I think uh, to take a little further, it's it's definitely different because, you know, white spaces, I, th- I feel like you have to come in and you have to kind of check yourself at the door and realize that you're in a, in a different space. You know, if you're in a space with more people that look like you and more people that are from where you're from, it's kind of more natural. You know, networking, it, it kind of takes on a more natural approach where, you know, you're just making a new friend or you're making a new business partner, things in that mm-hmm. capacity. But when you're, when you're in a in a white space, you kind of have to realize, okay, I'm going into something that you know is not um, what I'm not accustomed to. So I have to, you know, act different. Not really, you know, be yourself, but I, ha- I kind of have to check myself and know mm-hmm. some things are gonna, some things are not gonna fly, some things are gonna fly. And I think you having that in the back of your mind, bringing that to the forefront, knowing, okay, these are certain things that I just can't say that just won't fly here. I think. Um, that's what kind of um, where the difference lies is you have to kind of um, be alert a little bit more um, in those white spaces and, and knowing that, um, you know, certain things just don't fly in, you know, different circles, you know, different strokes with different folks. I can't act the same way around, um, you know, my counterparts that are, you know, multicultural, same as I can act around my white counterparts. So, you know, I think, I kind of, I think Mimi kind of hinted at it was um, when you're in those spaces, you're kind of, you know, people are not used to you being in those spaces. Um, more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of looked at as, you know, um, the one or the, you know, the the difference. Or, so, so it's kind of like they treat you different and you kind of have to realize that and kind of mm-hmm. act accordingly. You know, how am I going to act? Am I going to, you know, feed into that, you know, negativity take it as negative or am I gonna, you know, take this opportunity to show like, you know, this is this stereotype that you have about us is not, you know, it's not what it is. So mm-hmm. I think that's another thing that comes along with being in those white spaces um that they're not used to. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. And um I would also add that a lot of times in those spaces it feels like you're auditioning for your entire race. 
you know, when you're there, it's like you are representing every single black woman or every single black, you know, queer person or whatever other identities you're bringing into that room. And that can be overwhelming. You know, it's, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to represent all black people. (laughs) That's a lot of pressure. Especially if you missed the meeting that week of the black, the black people meeting this week. You messed up. Not the black people meeting. (laughs) I love that. So how, so both of you have talked about that at times it can be challenging. So how do you cope? What kinds of things have you done to kind of manage this, to negotiate it, um, to be better at it, that kind of thing? Yeah, so that's a really good um, question. I think this is also where self-care comes into play and, you know, understanding yourself enough to remove yourself from certain situations when it goes mm-hmm. you know, sideways. Um, so for me, whenever I find myself in predominantly white spaces that are professional, I need breaks. So I will either like, you know, step aside, you know, go to the bathroom or just like go outside for a second, you know, between every 30 minutes just to kind of, you know, pull myself out of that scenario. Cause sometimes you're also like just, I don't want to say putting on a show, but like I mentioned, all eyes are on you in a weird way. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, just like removing myself from the situation or also if I'm going with like a white friend, oftentimes, you know, having that person kind of just like, you know, that person will usually know when to, I don't want to say step in, but kind of, you know, if that's an ally, having them play their role, right? So it's like, if I'm talking to the CEO of some company and he says something and I just turned to you and watch and you didn't say anything to support me in that scenario. It's kind of like, you know, that's awkward and hard for someone to ask of a friend, but things will happen. So for me, just, I would say best, my best practice is to just remove myself from the situation. I like that a lot, Mimi. Um, I would say uh, a way that I cope is, you know, before going into any of those situations, uh, I kind of, I kind of say, you know, whatever, going into any, you know, whether it's a circle for networking, whether it's a circle, you know, business meeting, whatever it is, I, I let myself know, you know, whatever, there's going to be people that have, you know, their, their thoughts about you, you know, predetermined before they even meet you. Um, they see the color of your skin or they see, you know, your gender. Um, they'll have their ideas about you. What I tell myself before I go into those rooms, before I go into those scenarios is, you know, whatever is in store for me, you know, whatever I, I have, um, is I'm going to get, you know, maybe the road may be tougher for me because I'm a black man, you know, but, you know, I have the capacity to, you know, work hard and do what I have to do and nothing's going to stop me. You know, nobody in this room is going to stop me. It may make it a little tougher, but I'm going to, you know, keep my composure and I'm going to do what I have to do to prove that, you know, I'm not going to let, you know, whatever feelings you have toward me get in the way of my success. And I think that's something that a lot of people have to, um, remind themselves on because I know a lot of people, some people have thicker skin than others. And, you know, somebody says one thing about you or one thing to you and, you know, kind of, you know, breaks you down. Everybody likes to be liked. But then when you start to realize that, you know, every some people just are not going to like you or some people just gonna, not going to like your position and where you've got to. I just think that um, I remind myself that before I go into those circles. And one thing that uh, my dad and my mom always told me is, you know, they can't, they don't have to like you, you know, they don't have to be around you, but they have to respect your work, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that something that you, something that helps is, okay, whatever you feel about me, my work is my work and you have to respect that. I've done what I've done. 
And this mm-hmm. is what I'm bringing to the table. And I think that's mm-hmm. that definitely helps just a little because like Mimi said, it's really layered. But, you know, just knowing that kind of helps, kind of helps. It sounds like your own little um, power pose. <laughs> <laughs> feel me? That's your power pose, James? A little bit, a little, little bit. You feel me? Tell, me, tell, tell the audience what you mean by power pose. Ooh, that's, just, that's some Gen Z stuff right there. Oh, <laughs> that's so funny. So power posing is this constant. It's literally what it sounds like, a power pose. Like, it goes like this. Just imagine, yeah, imagine Superwoman posing before, like, going to go save the world. Like, that pose is called the power pose. And um, a lot of times in professional um, development, they will tell you to power pose for, like, two minutes before walking into, like, an interview or walking into any, like, scenario that, you know, like, we're explaining. Um, And there's actually, I think, scientific research explaining that it does, you know, boost your confidence a little bit and calm your nerves. So kind of when, you know, as James is, like, sharing his, um, affirmations with himself, those are the type of things you typically hear people say to themselves when they're power posing. I've never actually tried it, but I've heard it works. Mm. It works. Um, it absolutely works. Do you do it, Dr. Stacey? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could see this. See, if this was a video podcast, we would just, in this moment, we would all stand up and power pose together. <laughs> but I don't. I don't think I have a power pose. I think for mine is I. It is very similar to James. Just like giving yourself that affirmation, you know, mm-hmm. telling your, reminding your, not telling yourself, but just reminding yourself that you are worth it and that you belong in those spaces. Let's not even get the syndrome because that is a whole different beast that is coming with you to these events that you don't even see. So, a lot. so, so, so that's good. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Let's um, open it up. Okay. Yes, yes. So how do you deal with, do do either of you struggle with imposter syndrome at times? Oh, I do all the time. Mr. Dorman? In turn, uh, can, you, can you delve into imposter sy- syndrome just a little bit more? Trying to, feeling like, let me say, you say you do all the time. Share, share with your brother. Yeah, um, so imposter syndrome is basically like this idea where a lot of times when people are in like successful spaces or in environments where, you know, it's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's basically like when you're in a space where, you know, it's kind of like meant to be something amazing and successful, whatever. A lot of times people who, sometimes people feel like they don't belong in those spaces and they start to feel like an imposter in those spaces, right? So it's kind of like you start asking yourself like, am I playing a trick on people? Like you start to literally question whether or not you belong in those spaces. So a positive can show up in academic settings. Um, but in high school, in a high school setting, you know, um, if you're in an AP class and all the other kids are using like these super duper verbose, like vocabulary words that you don't know, you might start to feel like you don't, you don't actually belong there. And a lot of, you know, you'll oftentimes for me, I feel like I see imposter syndrome in situations where I'm usually like the youngest person or if I'm in some sort of like advanced or exclusive space I start to feel like okay what did I actually do to get here so that makes so, sense mm. so I'm thinking about your time as SGA president here Mimi and I'm wondering if there were moments in time where you experienced that and then what did you do to keep it moving and to negotiate that Oh, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I would say, thankfully, uh, by the time I, so I became a SHIA president my senior year. So by the time I 
um, got to that point, I, you know, had already learned how to manage my imposter syndrome. So mm-hmm. the way I usually describe imposter syndrome is that I think of it as the flu, right? So, you know, it will, you will, it's not, it's one of those things where like, if you're in a situation, like let's say in school, you know, you have imposter syndrome and you learn how to deal with it, like the flu, you're going to experience it again in another setting as a different strain, right? So it's just like every single time you get it, you have to just fight through it. But that's not the end all be all. That doesn't mean you're not going to get the flu ever again. So for me, at Susquehanna, um, by the time I became SGA president, I didn't really feel imposter syndrome. But what did consistently happen to me was that I, especially as the first black president, like I had to find a way to justify every single thing I did or every single thing I do. So I was not allowed the room to make a mistake. And, you know, again, these are things that nobody say to you, but you can feel it. And it's clear to you in like very subliminal ways. Right. So it's like I wasn't allowed the same opportunities to make a mistake or to say something. And or, you know, it's just the room for error was very slim for me. So that in itself. Self. I guess you can say I don't want to. I, I don't know if that would count as imposter syndrome, but it was just a, the pressure was definitely high. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But I did in in the beginning of my college career, I did very much experience imposter syndrome um, and so, questioned myself a lot when I was getting certain opportunities or being invited into certain spaces. Um, and sometimes too, when you let other others around you. Um, uh, affect the way you look at yourself or the way you think of yourself, that makes it even worse. And I've just learned, you know, one of my favorite new saying is that other people's opinions of me is none of my business. So <laughs> I just take that and go. So what's the networking um, story or experience that you have had that you are proud of? Mm-hmm. And how did you, how did you build that connect? I like that one. Um, I'll say one thing that I take pride on and that I always take pride on is my internship experience throughout college. Um, I interned at Moody's. It's one of the uh, top three uh, ratings agencies in the United States, um, along with S&P and Fitch Ratings. Um, I started interning there my senior year of high school. Um, there was a program in my school that uh, placed us into some of the um, top uh, bond industry um, companies. And so I was randomly placed with Moody's. Um, you know, as a high school student, they really didn't give me too much to do just because I didn't have too much a, a wealth of knowledge on, you know, ratings. But, they, you know, I got my feet wet. They gave me like little Excel tasks and everything to do. And I kind of took that as an opportunity to say, hey, OK, I'm not doing much, but with what I'm doing, I got to prove that, you know, I can be here and that I can, you know, play the long game. So what I did was, you know, I made sure everything I came in on time every day, did what I had to do. Um, so when it came time for those, you know, intern evaluations that, you know, they were through the roof. But the reason why I pride myself on coming back is because it was a little harder to try to come back as a high school student into, you know, being a college intern. But what I did was, you know, I feel like when I met the recruiter, his name was Brett. Um, he was a real outgoing guy. He just, you know, he kind of, um, you know, he just related to the students, whether high school or college, you know, he was just real outgoing and, you know, conversations just flowed like water. It wasn't like, you know, when I met him, it was like, hey, how you doing, Brett? You know, it, it was more of a, you know, a natural conversation. And I felt like I pride myself on, you know, 
building that relationship with him because I wasn't doing it to say, okay, I want another job here. So let me befriend, you know, the recruiter. It was more so a natural relationship, but through that relationship, I was able at the end of the summer, I was comfortable enough to say, Hey Brett, you know, is there an opportunity for me to come back next year as a college intern? And, you know, he said, Hey, yeah, you know, your, your evaluations, they went well, you know, your ball said, or your manager rather said that, you know, you did well, um, you know, you have the intangibles, you know, you're definitely on time every day, you know, you speak to everyone well with class, you know, with respect, you know, why not? If there's an opening, I'll definitely, you know, put your resume down. And lo and behold, um, within a month, you know, of starting college, um, I had an offer, you know, to come back next summer as a college intern. So I think um, the more that story is, you know, you're networking like you're networking without even knowing you're networking, you know, treat, treat every um, situation, you know, it sounds so cliche, but treat every situation as a job interview, you know, you're building relationships and, you know, people are judging you and um, learning from you and, you know, building their own ideas about you from the moment they lay eyes on you. You know, I think when I worked in a career center in college, I found out a statistic that said 70% of somebody's judgment on you when they first meet you is just how you look. You know, mm-hmm. you, know mm-hmm. you know, you just have to carry yourself um, at 100 percent wherever you go, whenever, you know. So I think that um, that's my, you know, networking experience that I pride myself on is, you know, being mm-hmm. able to carry that first um, year of internship throughout all four years of college and into a full time, you know, offer after. So nice. That you be me. Yeah, James, I really like when you said um, treat every like networking situation as a job interview, even when you don't think you're networking. Um, I think that's like the perfect summary for my story. So um, I work for Daniel Lubetsky, who is the founder, CEO, well, not CEO anymore, but he's the founder and executive chairman of Kind Snacks. Um, and he's also a guest on Shark Tank and he does a bunch of stuff. Um, super busy guy. So I'm his social media manager and I work with him on his thought leadership. So before, prior to you know starting this role, I was working at a small nonprofit organization um, called RDI and it was like a political nonprofit. And my job there was, you know, I was a political um, communications associate. And Daniel was our biggest donor, right? So it's so funny how everything just comes full circle. So Daniel was the biggest donor for this organization I was working at. And I actually never really like met Daniel, but we worked with his team very closely. So I remember, you know, we had meetings with them about, I think like twice a week, we were working on a project together. And um, for me, I was kind of the behind the scenes person. So I was, you know, creating all of the different documents we needed for the meetings, doing the research, but I was never in the room for those meetings. Um, and one of one person specifically from Daniel's team, um, she's um, one of the direct, she's his director of communications at one of his um, at his family organization, and she was someone that I interacted a, um, a lot in an informal way. So she would often come to our office, and whenever I was in their office, she and I would just talk to each other very informally. We never really discussed the projects we were working on because I was never in those rooms. Um, so. I wasn't really a part of it, but during our conversations, you know, in passing, we would discuss things like Instagram and fashion and coffee and just, you know, the most seemingly random things. And, you know, every now and then we'll discuss politics, but it was always on an informal level. And so she and I built like a very good relationship from that. Um, And I know, you know, I never thought anything of it, kind of like James was saying, like, 
you know, you're being interviewed even when you don't think you are. So I just consider, you know, I was just, you know, we had a really good relationship, really nothing there for me to explore. Five months later, I come across um, this LinkedIn job post, you know, searching for Daniel's social media manager. And when I saw the position, I saw that over 700 people applied to this position within two days. Um, And I was so shocked. So I looked at it and I knew it would be a perfect opportunity for me for many reasons. And, you know, I was familiar with the team a little bit and I loved the company and everything Daniel stands for. And, you know, it was just an amazing job that I just wanted to just shoot my shot as we say these days. And, um, but I knew that I really wouldn't have a chance with those, you know, 700 plus other applicants. Like there's no way they're probably going to get to me. Um, so I decided to use my network. So I emailed Ashley and, you know, checked in and she said, Hey, just seeing how you're doing. I see that you guys are hiring for this position. Is there a way you can please put me? Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. So were you, had you been doing that all along or was this a, a contact um, that you just made all of a sudden? Wait, what do you mean? I don't think with I Ashley. Had mm-hmm. you been in contact with her pretty consistently? Yes. Yes. Oh, thank you. I, I left out that. That's part. really yes. important. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is very important. So, um, yeah, so our project terminated around February and um, she and I would, check in every now and then just emails just very sl- and all you know when corona happened everything just kind of fell down but we would check in very not i don't want to say frequently but every now and then so when i emailed her it wasn't really like out of the blue right so it was one of those things like we already had that relationship and actually back in the office she and i would always joke about me being an influencer for kind the brand um because she really liked my instagram so which was so funny so i brought that up in our emails like hey it's so funny how we used to joke about this but now you know it looks like i might actually have a chance and right away she like cc'd the hiring manager um in the email and connected us. And the next day I had my first interview before I even applied. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, that interview went very well. And then afterwards I sent all of my documents and six other interviews later and multiple projects later, here I am. So that's my, one of my favorite, you know, networking stories, because at the time I didn't know Ashley would be someone to be able to connect me. I didn't even know a job like this existed because I didn't really study communications in college. So everything just kind of came full circle. And I would say, um, like Ashley did not get me the job. Let's just make that clear. I was, you know, qualified. I had (laughs) the credibility. However, she did play a role in connecting me to, you know, the person who was not my manager. I was going to say one thing and listening to Mimi talk, you know, it's kind of cool because she reminds me like just she's a walking testimony of like one of my favorite quotes, which is it's not what you know, it's not who you know, but it's who knows you. That's deep. And, and you can and it's definitely you know, definitely <laughs> who you know, who you definitely <laughs> like who, you know, definitely plays a part. But mm. you know, and, and hearing Mimi speak is like, you know, people taking those things into account, you know, people, somebody's always watching, you know, whether it's on her Instagram, you know, whether it's in a room with her, watching her work, somebody's always watching. And so when those opportunities present itself, you know, your name will come up and, and you won't even, you won't even know. It's just how you conduct yourself on a regular basis. So always, mm-hmm. you know, um, act in the best interest of yourself, you know, make, make sure you bring yourself the best that you could possibly do because one day, you know, it will benefit you if you, you know, play your cards right. And just listening to Mimi speak is definitely, you know, the story that she has with her friend Ashley. It definitely helped Ashley know who Mimi was. 
um, as opposed to those 700 other applicants, you know. So that's just my little you know, two cents. One in 700. That's deep right there. That's fantastic. Well, and I, I also think that with your network, your network is no good to you if you've not properly prepared yourself. And so that that is really, really important to note that as well. So I think that that's another kind of pro tip, if you will, that that it is important that, you know, uh, they say that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Oh, it says it's success. That is my favorite quote. That's it's it. not luck, success. Right. So, I, so I'll give you guys a great example. So I have been doing anti-racism work and diversity work on the road for years, right? And now that we are in this moment, and so I've been getting my 10,000 hours of mastery in since I was a little girl. And now that the country is in a place of racial reckoning and people are uh, more open to having those conversations, I am more busy almost than I can handle at some level. And so it really is where preparation met opportunity. You want to hear my version of that quote? Because I love that quote. It's by it's by Zig Ziglar. So it's literally my favorite Zig quote. Zig Ziglar, I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah, so what's the rest of it? My, the Mimi version of that quote, or I should say the Danielle version, because really Danielle came up with it, um, is if you stay ready, you hey, Danielle. Get ready. Hey, yes, Danielle. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you stay ready, you don't got to stay Yeah, I got to get ready. That's and true. It, and it, it goes into your story about how you've been doing this for years, preparing mm-hmm. yourself for this opportunity that you didn't even see coming. And when it came, right. you are ready because Corona is here, but so is Dr. Stacy. Okay. Yes, indeed. So what has been the biggest challenge for you when you think about networking and particularly networking in white spaces? Mm. I think the biggest challenge for me, as well, especially at first, was just you know, I always hear networking, networking, build this relationship, but it's just, how do I relate to this person? You know, I, mm-hmm. I come from the Bronx, New York, you know, I'm in this, uh, being in college, I'm in Simmons Grove, Pennsylvania. You know, a lot of my counterparts are from central Pennsylvania. You know, some of them are from, you know, farmland, you know, it's just real different. So how do I relate to this person? You know, how do I say things that won't offend them? You know, how do I conduct myself when they say things that offend me? You know, mm-hmm. so um i think the most challenging part uh, of networking was just um trying to find that happy medium and you know you might be uh, in a headspace where you're trying to figure those things out and the person that you're building that you know relationship with is just they're just going as they go they're not thinking about these things you know they're not mm-hmm. oh it may be from you know x y and z so you know let me not say this or say that you just mm-hmm. have to have control on how you approach situations and how you act and how you react toward you know certain things so i think it was just um at first it's just how do i relate to this person and you know how do i you know act when i hear something that kind of startles me that i'm not used to but i think um that gets better with practice i think that it gets better with, and i don't want to say practice in terms of like you know putting on the facade when you're building a network i think it's just it gets better with um you know the more relationships you build um, the more you'll see things recurring and the more you'll know how to act um, toward those toward those things. Mm-hmm. So. That's good. That's good. What about for you, Mimi? Yeah, that was really good, James. Um, I agree 100%. Um, I would also add that 
in addition to struggling to find something to connect with, you know, with, um, with that person is also trusting that person. Right. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, with every single situation, like every single like networking situation in predominantly white spaces, you always have to ask yourself, is this safe? Right. Um, and I think that goes into so many different little things, but for mm-hmm. me, it's a question of, do I trust this person? Not even just with whatever it is we're talking about, but do I trust you to be in my present? Do I trust that what you're going to hear me say? And can I trust that what I'm saying to you will resonate with you in a way that you're looking at me as a human being, not just as a black girl? You know what I mean? So it's just a lot of times, yeah, it's just like, do you, is this person going to judge me? Are they going to look at me differently? Or are they, you know, just for that reason? Right, so how do you make that assessment? How do you discern that? I feel like we're back in school. Um, yeah, for that one. So that one, I think it's it's a combination of just like knowing how to, you know, read certain cues, right? So for me, listening is a big part of it. So as the person talks, I listen for, you know, little things and I listen to how they think critically, how they diagnose certain things or what they're talking about, or even how they're talking about other people and other situations. And based on what they're saying will let me know whether or not I will also fall within that category for them when I walk away. So a lot of times it's like for me listening to the person talk or even seeing them interact with others. Um, Mm -hmm. Even if, you know, like, let's say we're in a, like a, space where there's food are you being kind to the wait staff are you you know, or are you rude right so it's just you know if you're not a kind person or being be nice to other people what makes what well, like, why should i believe that you will treat me any differently when the opportunity shows itself so you know a lot of times like people would say well they're mean to everybody else but they're nice to me and i'm just like that is a sign that they will turn on you this chance they get so Okay, Dr. Stacey, you better snap. <laughs> In a skinny but, minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so is there anything about networking that we haven't talked about that you think it's important for our God daughters to know? Definitely. Um, wait, what, I, do you, I, wait, what do you call them, Dr. Stacey? Daughters. Like being the dot, daughters. I'm a oh, daughter. I like, daughters. I like mm-hmm. That's a Um. I definitely would say, um, you know, to start off, you know, everybody always hears, you know, network, 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 and it sounds so cliche, but I think we kind of get lost in um, hearing it so much that we forget that, like we said in the beginning, networking is building a relationship. And, you know, you have relationships, you know, you have your parents, you have your um, siblings, you have your friends, you have your um, romantic relationships. All of that is, you know, the basis is just a relationship, you know, and when you're networking, that's building a relationship. Granted, it's a professional one, but at the end of the day, we're all still human, you know, and when I say that, I say that to say networking is not just, okay, you know, do you have an internship opportunity here or, you know, do you have a job here? Or I saw that you have an opening here, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's, you know, letting the person know that, you know, when you see certain things that, you know, have to do with them that, you know, they're, you're on their mind, you know, um, Hey, you know, I saw this article. I remember we had a conversation on X, Y, Z, um, that you like, um, golf or that you like basketball, uh, check this out. Have you seen this? Or, you know, it's holiday season. Hey, you know, happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, you know, um, I hope you and your family are doing well, you know, just those little things, um, can go a long way, you know, people knowing that, okay, this person recognizes my existence and is taking mm-hmm. the time out of their day to, you know, reach out to me just to say, hey, you know, that goes a long way. You know, a lot of times 
we we get lost in the you know can you get can you do this for me can you do this for me but a relationship is a two-way street you know what can you do for that person so just keeping that in mind you know when i'm trying to uh, build relationships professional relationships um i try to figure out things about certain people and i try to you know um approach them when those things you know come to me what and whatever i'm doing in everyday you know life so i think um basically in in short figure out what you can do for somebody else and not just what you know everyone can do for you and i think that'll you know that'll carry a long way yeah um another point you briefly brought up james that i think is really amazing is this aspect of keeping that connection because networking with someone getting their linkedin or exchanging emails is basically a waste of time if you're not going to like water that seed right mm -hmm. and i love you know when you talked about um thinking of that person and letting them know like, hey, I saw this and it reminded you. I mean, it reminded me of you because that that's actually how it's not. So one of my internships that I had, uh, I did, um, I got it. Well, part of the reason why I got this internship was because I followed up after our, you know, um, interview with something that the person mentioned. So during our conversation, and it was a white woman that interviewed me. And during our conversation, um, I remember like asking her, um, what is it that she's, cause she is doing, I think a PhD program where um, she's studying citizenship as a, you know, as a whole, right. And her interests are in like the Arab Israeli conflict and citizenship amongst like minorities. And in that conversation, um, we, we, you know, we talked a lot about the scholarly parts of it or whatever. And um, I mentioned to her that there's a book that I'm currently reading that would, you know, that would be great for her research. And quickly going to shout out the book because it's by a Black woman. It's called Sister Citizen by Melissa Harris Perry. Yes, Check it yes, out. Yes. Check it out. Um, but so after our interview, um, I sent her like a link to the to the book and I said, hey, you know, had a really good conversation. Here's the book I was mentioning. I, I, I referenced. And after I got the job, she told me that out of everyone she interviewed for that internship position, I was the only person that really like followed up in a meaningful way, not just a thanks for the interview. And she said, like, that's something she's never going to forget. And I was like, oh, OK. In the moment, I just did it because I thought it would be, you know, nice for her to read that book. But mm -hmm. it ended up me get the internship so i definitely like that a lot but to add on to what james was saying about things you can do during like while you're networking to help you um one of my favorite um networking like concepts actually comes from Issa ray the mm -hmm. actor producer you know black girl magic all around and she always says that it's very important to network um across you know, network, networking across is just as important as networking up, if not more important, because a lot of times when you're networking up and you're trying to reach the executives and the VPs and, you know, the people who are at the top of the food chain, those individuals, even if you get in contact with them, there's not really much they can do because one, they're just going to send you back down to whoever it is that works for them to help you with whatever it is that you need. And at the same time, if you're networking, if you're putting that same energy into networking with, for example, if you're in an internship cohort and if there's 20 of you if you get to know like you know some of the people in your cohort and build meaningful relationships with them and stay in contact with those individuals you know if you think about it you're all at the same level in life and chances are if you're in that same internship you have the same interest they can tell you about grants that they've received they can tell you about scholarships that they've done in the past or they can even put you on to other internships that can help you get to the next level right and for me um one of my favorite stories about that was i did a law school program like 
my the summer of my sophomore year. And mm-hmm. during the program, one of the girls I um, got to know very well ended up working at CNN the following summer. Um, and when she got that job at CNN, um, she was put in charge of doing a story um, about immigration. And I'm an immigrant. So she contacted me and asked if I knew anyone who would be interested in you know, being featured on this immigration project CNN was working on. So I told her I was interested and I also was able to introduce her to a few other people who would be amazing. And through that, you know, we were, I was able to get that opportunity. And it was just because she and I stayed in contact after our internship. So nice. I would say, you know, definitely value the people who are on your level and don't try to compete with anyone because you are in your own way and when mm-hmm. you genuinely build those relationships like james mentioned you will get a lot more out of it than trying to compete with the people who you consider to be you know less than or whatever you want to call it so yeah don't waste your time with the ceos they don't got time for you make friends with the associates make friends with the junior associates make friends with the janitor make friends with the people who work in the cafeteria because those are the folks who are going to hold it down for you as well you bet, you bet. And I think what you said is really good because you talked about networking up and then networking um, literally or across, as you said. But I think it's also important for you to be somebody's network and that you are are making yourself available to people to he ain't heavy, she ain't heavy, they ain't heavy. That's my brother, sister Z. You know what I'm saying? And so that that that's also a really important thing to remember, particularly given that oftentimes there's so few of us in high, the higher you go in an organization, the less there are of people of color and for most organizations anyway. And so it's important to you be somebody else's network as well. Agreed. Yeah. Do you want to go first, James, or... No, I, I mean, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with what Doctor Stacy was saying. And, and as soon as you know, you said network, be somebody's network. I thought, yes, always, always pay it forward and uplift somebody, and be, be there for somebody and pay it forward. Because me personally, I've had a lot of opportunities granted to me, and whenever I get the chance, I love paying it forward. I love going mm-hmm. back speaking to someone mm-hmm. because you know, if somebody wasn't didn't do that for me. You know, no telling right. where I would be, you know. So I definitely agree with what Dr. Sissy said about being somebody's network and um, being there for somebody, you know. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think that also goes into the point of what we were talking about um, a few moments ago when we mentioned about the way you conduct yourself and the way you act. Um, because it's not just you, right? At the end of the day, like, if you do a great job, they're going to trust you to pull in from your network. Um, and that's something that's been happening to me a lot lately since I've started working, you know, in this position because so Daniel has a bunch of other organizations and companies that he is the head of. And whenever these other companies and organizations are hiring, um, my manager always makes sure to send me the job description and ask if I know anyone who will be interested before they even put off the position. And for me, I don't take that lightly. Like that's a very big honor and also a great way for me to put on my community, right? So, you know, I have to. That's right. And a lot of times, you know, especially as Black people and as people of color, you don't always get a lot of opportunities because you're mm-hmm. not in state to even know those right. opportunities exist. And I think it would be a little, you know, reckless if people like us who are in these spaces as dots don't really reach back down and send the ladder back down and say, hey, mm-hmm. 
know, I trust that you do good work. I know your work ethic and I know you've been struggling to get this job. Here's an opportunity. But when you initially brought up this convert, this topic, it reminded me of when I was abroad, actually. Um, so when I studied abroad, I interned at the European Union, um, right in the parliament. And, um, you know, during that internship, I made sure to connect and network with a lot of the people who were also working there. And I definitely was the dot, Dr. Stacey, because every other person of color who worked in that building, you know, I don't want to say every other because that's a lot of people, but majority of the people of color in that building were either the cleaning staff or the wait staff. And right. for me, you know, I it was that was a little sobering because you know you look at yourself in these in this space and you're one of you know what just ten people in this entire building who's working on like policy and things like that. Um, and it's it's hard. But when I was there, um, I became very close to. Um, another intern actually um her name was martina and she was a lot older than me so in europe you know they intern really late like they intern after college but they don't do the way we do it but anyway so she was interning there she had more years of experience than i did and two years later you know i leave europe come back to america graduate from college it's been two years and i get a message from someone who was at my university in brussels so she was a native belgian woman like a white woman from belgium who's you know born there raised there whatever so she and I were also in contact, um, even after I came back to America, we remained in contact. And she sent me a message on LinkedIn um, saying that um, she's been having a very hard time finding a job in Belgium. Again, this is a Belgian person who was you know, born and raised there. And she, you know, she just finished her master's program, has all of these like, you know, um, qualities and all of the qualifications and she's been trying really hard to find like a job or an internship and she hasn't had any luck and she basically asked if i can connect her with anyone at the parliament because apparently and i didn't realize this before going but it's kind of like our equivalent of getting a job at the white house or at the senate but it's very hard and very selective and when she reached out to me and this is someone who i know like you know she's super smart i had classes with her and she's amazing so i decided to, to connect her with martina the person the other intern i worked with at the parliament because after i left in, the, in those two years she stayed there and she got promoted and she became like an assistant to one of the like senators basically right so she literally went from being an intern to being like the chief of staff basically for wow. someone right right shout out to martina she's super great but so i was able to connect her to the girl from my school and say hey this is someone i know and i trust and she's amazing um it was just introducing you guys and that's it so they ended up going to have coffee i think a week later and Long story short, she ended up getting a job at the parliament like a month later. So that's for awesome. me, that's one of my favorite stories because it really goes to emphasize that, you know, even in situations where you are networking, sometimes it's not even about you. Like, right, God put you in that situation to be a link for other people. So remembering that too um, is a very, it's like great for me because some, you know, a lot of times like you don't want to get too selfish and say, well, this person can't do anything for me. Well, maybe you're not meant to be there to get something out of it, but rather to mm -hmm. give something. Well, and I have to tell you, though, the way that you keep up with people, that sounds exhausting. I'm not even going nice. You can ask, they can tell you, I don't really keep up with people as well as I, you think I do. So it's it's like in little it's and uh, bits and pieces, right? And I think this is where social media comes into play. Um, a lot of times, just, you know, like if you just comment on someone's post or just send them a DM like once a year, it's just, yeah, I don't waste my time like keeping, I don't want to say wasting my time, but it's just, there's a lot of people to keep up with. And I think this is where LinkedIn becomes your friend. So that's another piece of advice. If you feel like networking is becoming exhausting, transfer 
explore or find a way to connect with all of the people in your professional network on LinkedIn, because that's a good way for, as James was saying, for that person to get to know you because they can see what you do, you know, even when you're not connecting with them. And mm -hmm. when the opportunity comes for you to connect with them, I don't know, in three years, they will, you will have something to talk about because you've seen each other's progress on social media in the you know past three years. Gotcha. So what's the what's the one thing that you would share with white people about making workplaces their white people? Um I think I would say simply put, um, you know, go into every situation with an open mind, you know. Um I think it's the you know, I feel like being a dot and you know, being black in those white spaces and you know being white and you know conducting yourself toward you know the people of color in those spaces i think it's really layered and i think you know the start of it and the catalyst will be just you know consciously going into those situations with an open mind and knowing mm -hmm. okay you know i'm you know one of many and i'm looking at this person of color and you know they might be in an uncomfortable situation you know so let me make it just a tad bit easier for them you know extend the mm -hmm. help and you know letting them know that they have an ally you know i might not know what they've been through or what you know their situation you know i've been fortunate enough to not you know have to uh be the only person in this circle but you know me and me knowing that and letting them know that i know that and that i'm here to help and that i I can be a service in whatever capacity, you know, that is, I think that will be the start of, you know, you know, something, something great. And so I just mm -hmm. have an open mind going into those situations. And, you know, when you see a person of color or you see somebody who's not really familiar to you, you know, try to get to know them, you know, reach out, you know, and you never know what, what it could come. So mm -hmm. that's my, mm -hmm. that's my two cents. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I certainly agree. Um, and I would say two things. So one, be willing and be intentional about removing your veil, right? A lot of times white people live, I don't want to say in the ivory towers, but like they live in a whole different world than we do. Like they experience the world very differently than we do. Mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's one of those things where if you don't actively make the decision to try to understand others, you know, other people's experiences or try to see what reality is for people who don't look like you, you will never really understand it. So I would say, so one, definitely remove your veil and be intentional and try to understand what's going on so that you can be a better ally, which brings me to another thing about allyship, especially in the work environment. Um, being an ally doesn't always mean speaking up. Sometimes it means passing the mic. Sometimes it means getting up and getting up somebody else, right? And um, for a lot of, uh, and a lot of times when these allies like make a mistake or fail in their jobs and you know, you try to hold them accountable, they get defensive. So my second advice would be, um, be open and be um, be open to criticism and don't mm -hmm. take it like, personally because a lot of times like accountability can feel like an attack when you're not ready to receive that accountability, right? So sometimes people feel like you're just coming for them or you're trying to make them feel bad, but a lot of times it's, it's not about you. We've all heard the stories of, um, you know, the white tear, especially like whenever something goes wrong, they start crying. And it's just like, why are you crying? Like you messed me up, you know? So it's just, you know, being open and understanding that like sometimes it, it's really not about you. And, you know, as someone with 
your privilege. And again, privilege is not a bad thing, you know, just be able to use it so that we can even out the playing field a little bit can make for a better work environment and also a better work culture for everyone. And it's good business. It definitely is. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Mimi and James. I really appreciate the opportunity to sit and talk with you about your journey. And I'm sure that our listeners will also appreciate what you have to say. Thank you for having us, Dr. Stacey. Um, you know, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, thank you. And I, I feel like every time, you know, I work with Mimi and doing something, me and her are close friends, you know, outside of the whole profession. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I definitely learned something from her. You know, some people was born with it. Some people, they got to work with it. You feel me? Mimi was born with it. You feel me? So I definitely, I definitely, I definitely enjoy, you know, being in, you know, in our space on a professional level. And then on the other side, being a real close friend of hers, you know. So thank yeah. you for presenting this opportunity to yeah. me. Yeah. No, thank you for having us both. And I know we're about to wrap up, Dr. Pixie. Don't hate me for this. But really quickly, so James brought up the fact that we are friends. Yes, like we are best friends outside of this. And it's so funny yeah. when she says yes in a professional environment. So switching is real. Um, get into it. Um when it comes to networking. And when I say cold switching, I'm not saying like be somebody else, but also just like you know, having boundaries, right? So James and I have, you know, had the opportunity to be in a lot of professional settings, but in those settings, we don't act the way we do. You know what I mean? It's like a completely in those settings. We got cold switching down. We got cold switching down. Maybe that's the one I need to have y'all in for is cold switching one. Yeah, and you know it's definitely so. You know, if you're and if you find yourself in um, networking spaces with a friend, understand that y'all are not there to just kiki. Like, like you said last time, right. Dr. Stacy, this is not lunchtime. It's not dinner time. You're there to work. So get to work and don't play around yeah. because you're gonna have your own opportunities. But yeah, thank you so much for having us. This has been amazing. Let's do it again. <laughs> This episode was edited by Nikki Anderson. Special thanks to our interns, Amanda Gillette, and other contributors. Our music is provided by Jaffa. Being the Dot is sponsored by davidsdeliciousdelights.com. davidsdeliciousdelights.com. Custom-made, personalized cakes, pies, cookies, and pastries made with a dash of Southern flair. Visit davidsdeliciousdelights.com. And use the coupon code being the dot for 20% off orders of $34.99 or more. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>